This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. Happy Pride, everyone. This is episode 318, and tonight we are taking a dark and twisted road into a forest of fabulosity because we're talking about the 1981 psychological thriller Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. A.K.A. Night Warning. And to do that, I'm going to be joined by two very special guests. Burlesque performer Matt Knife and his husband, Cubby Hall. But before we get on with the show, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh. Hi, 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 hi. And ever since 2010, I have been your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. It's okay, boo-boo. I'll get you through the dark forest safely. But there's a caveat. You're going to have to see these movies through my very, very gay little eyes. Ma-ha-ha-ha. And you're going to love it. Don't worry. Don't worry. What's been going on in Scream Queens headquarters? Many, many interesting things. I'm going to try to narrow it down. The first thing, I got to go to the theater. I got to go to a real theater and see live theater. And, you know, I've been complaining for so long. Oh, I miss it so much. I want to see a real show and be in an audience and the applause. You know, the curtain call is going to feel so sweet. We're applauding for everybody. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see something deep and impactful and meaningful. Instead, I went to see a musical about big swinging dicks. It's a lovely little off-Broadway show running here in New York called Camp Morningwood. It's running throughout June. I think it just got extended through July. If you're in the New York area, definitely go check it out. It's adorable. It's adorable. I'm always a little hesitant to go see shows that are just about people being naked because I know darn well that usually is the only reason to go. Like the show's like, and if it's a musical, it's like, and this is adorable. It's very sweet. It's about a guy who gets in a car accident and accidentally finds himself at a gay nudist camp. Wackiness ensues. It was smart. It was clever. It was sweet. It was charming. It was adorable. There were body types of every shape and size. Nice racial diversity. It was a great time. And the price was right. So if you're in the New York area, go check it out. Go see some dicks. It's fun. Go follow them on Instagram. It's Camp Morningwood. They have discount offers on there all the time. So go see some dicks for cheap. It's fun. But hey, you know what? It's at the old Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which means it's going to be general admission. So get there early. This cocktails. Get there early. Because if you don't, you know the spot. It's three quarters round. And if you don't get there early, you might wind up with a big pole blocking your view. And not the kind of big pole that you want to have blocking your view, if you know what I mean. So, okay, let's clean this up and find out what's been going on with that cat. Because it's time for us. Bum, bum, smoochy, watch, yada, da, 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 what's going on with that cat? She's cool. She's cool. She's on her kitty Prozac high. Everything's mellow. Everything's nice. She cuddles. She purrs all day. All she wants to do is hang around with it and me, me and be sweet. I just wish I'd started this sooner. That's really not an update from last time. But hey, I'm happy. I'm happy. It's been years of us two, the two of us just fighting each other all the time. All we needed was some pharmaceuticals. Yay, pharmaceuticals. No, I just want to give you a heads up about this particular episode. I had some technical problems. I met with Matt and Cubby last week. That's Wednesday, let's say. And recorded a very nice two-hour episode. 
I put the files aside. I didn't check them because I had a final reel episode to get out. The final reel is one of the uh, premium exclusive podcasts that you get over at Patreon when you become a patron, but we'll get into that later. So I didn't check for a few days. I didn't check till like Saturday or Sunday, and I'd fucked up. My cable wasn't sitting in my mic right, so my end was all crackles. You could barely hear me. It was all crackles, and I was like, oh, fuck. I tried for a day to save the audio because it was such a good session, but alas, no. So I had to go back and be like, Matt, Gabby, please, Gabby, please, can you come back and re-record? They couldn't do it till Tuesday. So I was in a time crunch to took, take a lot more editing than I expected it to. So it is Friday morning. But Patrick, don't you normally release the episodes on Friday morning? Yes, and I'm still recording it right now. That's okay. I'm fine. I've been glued to this damn chair for three days. But it's fine. I'm good. It's all good. It's all for you. It's all for you. The other thing I want to say before we start talking about this movie, if you have not seen it, I'm going to give this a trigger warning, which I've never done on this show. Because not only does it involve rape, but... It is latent with homophobia. A lot of homophobic terms, a lot of gay bashing, verbal gay bashing. Then why on earth are you covering it, Patrick? Because this movie turns all of it on its head. We'll get into it in the show and how I first reacted to it years ago, but let's just say this movie kicks all that homophobia in its ass by the last reel. So hang in there. It is shockingly gay positive for a movie that came out in 1981, so I applaud that. The other thing I want to say, if you haven't seen it, it is streaming on Shudder, a wonderful, restored, gorgeous print. You could watch it on Shudder, or you could come hang out with me this Monday night for one of our Monday night watch parties. They've been going hard. They've been going strong these past few weeks. I've been having a ball. The crowds keep getting bigger and bigger, and it's a great time. It's a whole party. We don't just watch the movie and dish about it. No, there's a whole thing beforehand. I... You know me, I can't just host a movie. I mean, I'm a party host at heart. So when I do anything like this, I turn into poof, Donna Reed all of a sudden. And I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm bringing out all the bells and whistles. I'm going to make this as absolutely fun as possible. I'll be practically hauling chips and dips and hors d'oeuvres to your house. And there's fun, there's cartoons, there's karaoke, there's giveaways, there's trivia. Get your ass over there. You can watch it on Shutter by yourself or you can come play with us. Good times. And also, warning, this movie's 40 years old. We're going to spoil it in this session. So if you haven't seen it, you might not want to listen to the rest of the show right now, okay? And I think a great thing to do would be to watch the movie first. And the perfect way to do it is to come play with us on Monday night. And to do that, it's this Monday night, June 21st, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You just got to go to www.screamqueens.com slash drive-in and you're into the party. Yeah, into party. <sighs> it's 6 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep today. I had weird nightmares about demons that wanted to eat my ass and not in a sexy way. And for some reason, Kristen Petty from the Killing Your Darlings podcast was the only person who could save me. But that's not the point right now. And now that I've recorded this a little bit, I've decided I'm going back to bed. So while I go have a snooze, why don't I bring on Matt Knife and Cubby Hall and play the trailer for Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, a.k.a. Night Warning. Hey, Kristen, I'm going back to bed. Can you cover my ass for me? Thanks. Love you. So shocking, so terrifying, so powerful. Night Warning has been named Best Horror Film of the Year by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. Billy and Julie, young, innocent, in love. It was all a mistake. They didn't go looking for trouble. They were just too curious. 
without knowing they've uncovered a deadly secret. By accident, they've stumbled onto a grisly murder. Now, they know too much to live. A chilling tale of a young boy and girl, innocent victims, now targets of a frenzied obsession with murder. See the award-winning Night Warning. So our Pride celebration here at Scream Queens continues. And to do that, we're going to be talking about a very unusual little movie called Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, also known as Night Warning. And since this is a very unusual special film, I need unusually special guests. And that's why I have invited back to the show. You met them here before. They were here to talk about Witchboard. What a normal, everyday, heterosexual film that was. And then one of them came back solo to talk about Clash of the Titans, which is Again, a totally, totally heterosexual film. And now they're here again to talk about the most absolutely heterosexual film of all time. You've met him before. You know him. You love him. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my GNCs, wherever you may be, please welcome back to the Scream Queen studio, Matt Knife and Gabby. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, boys. Hello. Happy Pride. Hi. Yay. Happy Pride. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for doing this again. Now, 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 kids, I just want to let you know that we already did this session before we recorded it and I fucked it up. So we are very lucky to have both of these boys come back talk to us again about this crazy little movie. And Therefore, I think it's particularly important that since they are saving the show, they're taking time out of their busy schedule to save my ass days before this episode is due, that I want to really point out the fact that Matt sells some fantastic soap. I do. Baron Von Soap. Let's see. Now, I bought some after, you got, after Matt was on last time, and I'm always hesitant when it comes to fancy soaps. I have super sensitive skin and a super sensitive nose, so usually one or the other is going to break out or clog up. I love your rosemary beard shampoo. Love it. Love it. Love it. Good. Because like I said, I normally avoid using soaps I'm not familiar with because I will break out. All that beard crap makes me break up. The beard wax, the beard uh, oil, all that stuff makes me break out or gives me dandruff. But I figured, what the heck, I'll give it a try. And I started using it, and my beard looked great. My beard looked great. It was soft. It was floofy. I didn't need all those other products. There was no beard drift. It was great. And then I went to the barber to get it trimmed to make it look nice because COVID restrictions were loosening and the fucker come and the fucker and the fucker almost took the whole thing off almost took the whole thing off so i'm growing it back in despite him and to start using your soap again because i love it i'm so happy i love it, it. and uh, what's the other one gay passion gay passion soap. yeah it's good for cleaning up your between me down there's i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, Matt, Matt, Matt even had a celebrity purchase. Matt, can you talk about who came by your booth at that street fair to buy some Baron Von Soap soap? Oh, I had Lady Gaga buy some soap for me. It was Shut actually pretty, your face. pretty awesome. She bought the patchouli shaving soap. So She was all incognito about it, too. But, and not really well done. Yeah, but her, we, I wanted to pull her aside and be like, we need to talk about your incognito look. 
because it's not very incognito. Why? What was she wearing? She was wearing like this, like she was wearing a leopard print coat that she obviously got at a thrift store, but she had this like big blonde wig on and these big expensive looking sunglasses that were like goggles. And then she had like a little knit hat on with like this really cute gold safety pin. Like it was like, you know, three inches long. And I was just looking at her and I was like, this is really a well put together look for just some random person. I can't walk down the street without seeing every abuela wearing the exact same outfit. I'm like, come on, I had grandmas are wearing that Lady Gaga. You can do better than that. If you go to wear a giant pin, actually put it through your head. Come on, it's East Village. <laughs> but seriously, I love it when I'm walking around New York and I come across celebrities who are trying to be inconspicuous. And by trying to be inconspicuous, they're making themselves even more conspicuous. It makes me laugh. I'm blending in. No, you're not. No, you're not. But it's cute. But yeah, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, so where, where can people find Baron Von Soap's up? Uh, at Etsy, if you uh, search Baron Von Soap. And then if you just find me on Instagram, Baron Von Soap, the link is in the bio, too. And also, you could probably just take a peek down there in the show notes, because that link is going to be down there as well. Because, let's face it, if these soaps were good enough for Gaga, then they are damn well good enough for you. You deserve it. So go treat yourself, you little monster. But don't do it now, because we got a movie to talk about. Matt contacted me. A few weeks ago, and he said, Patrick, because this is totally how Matt talks. This is a flawless impression I'm doing right now. Have you seen this movie? And I said, why are you talking like that, Matt? And he said, I don't know. This movie's crazy. I want to come on and talk about Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. And I was familiar with the film because I, I'd heard of it. Like books that I'd read and, and like magazine articles always said it was good. But I remember sitting down, I think it was last year. To watch it on YouTube and the print was so bad, I gave up. I gave up. Between the bad print, the bad sound, and the rampant homophobia in the first half hour, I was like, I'm out. But, oh, I'm so happy that Mr. Knife wrote me back in to make me watch the whole movie now that Shudder has this fully restored version of the film because this movie's amazing. It really is. Somehow this crazy little movie manages to be no homo and pro-homo simultaneously. It is homophobic. And totally queer positive at the exact same time. Mm. It's a horror movie. It's a black comedy. It's a psychological thriller. All it needed was a musical number. I would have been thrilled. Yeah. Well, maybe we can make a burlesque act about it. <laughs> and then you can live that uh, fantasy. Yes. You know, every uh, can have some milk. Every queen on the block is going to want to be Aunt Cheryl, though. Nobody wants to be anybody else. Well, Aunt Cheryl wants to be Julie. to play, you know. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the one to, to go... Well, of course, considering it's a low budget movie from 1981 that's been primarily forgotten until very recently, it's got an incredible cast. If you were alive in the 70s, you know all of these people. They were maybe not the big stars, but they were character actors who were always doing A-plus work on everything. TV, radios, theater, everywhere. Commercials. You know all these faces. And nobody's fucking around either. Nobody's just there for the paycheck. So it's extraordinary. Okay, I just realized something. I want to play a game. And I want to play a game with Kirby. Kirby. Okay. I need you to give me a nice tight 30 second back of the DVD plot summary of Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Pitch me that plot, baby. The clock starts now. Boy lives with his aunt who's kind of obsessed with him staying at home. Um, he has a girlfriend. 
but uh, the aunt is a little concerned about that, so she doesn't want him to have a date. She tricks the TV repairman to come over. She kills him. Sheriff comes over, thinks that it's a gay love triangle between Billy and the basketball coach and the TV repairman, and then Aunt Cheryl goes crazy, and... Uh, and yeah. time is up. Time is up. Nicely done. Nicely done. There's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot. There's a lot. Matt, is there anything you want to add to that? I think it's pretty good. Okay, good. Yeah, right. I think it's pretty good. What's What's also extraordinary that I will describe this movie as batshit crazy, and yet it's not one of those batshit crazy that you can't follow. Like this movie's just weird. Why is ha- what's happening? What's going on? It's a very straightforward movie, but with one absolutely deranged performance. Yes, indeed. That is brilliant. So yes, who am I talking about? Talking about Aunt Cheryl. I'm talking about Aunt Cheryl. I'm ta- I'm not talking about Aunt Cheryl. I'm talking about Susan Terrell. Yes, yes. Hi, kids. This is Patch from the Future. One of the problems is when you go back and redo stuff a second time with guests is that sometimes you just forget stuff because you think you already did it, which technically you did, but you're not hearing it because we did it in the audio, the audio that you were not using. Adur. So we forgot to actually talk about Susan Terrell and who she is. Susan Terrell, fascinating character. I, I love her. She's a self-described Hollywood gypsy and social outcast. And if you know her from anything, you'll probably know her from Forbidden Zone from 1980 when, when she played Queen Doris of the Sixth Dimension. That's a completely bonkers, out there art film musical in another dimension that, that Oingo Boingo did the music on. It's all showcased for Oingo Boingo. It's totally queer and totally fabulous. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. Check it out soon. What else has she done? She was in Angel, Avenging Angel, From a Whisper to a Scream with Vincent Price, Big Top Pee Wee, Crybaby, uh, John Waters' Crybaby, Rockula, Powder, tons of stuff. Fascinating woman, fascinating character, and an incredible performance. Back to the show. I also like to call her character Aunt Eyebrows. Why? Why would you call her that? She doesn't actually have any. She just draws them on with a pencil like this. Ma, ma, ma. That's all she does. <laughs> well, we were talking about this the last time about how when we were first watching the movie and I kept thinking that she looked like Grace uh, Zabrinsky. Is that how like Zabrinsky, from Twin yeah. Peaks? And then uh-huh. and, and the yeah the 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 the, the, the grudge remake every she's been in everything warlock Veronica Cartwright like she's sort of in that same type unpredictable mm-hmm. in a good way yeah in a good way and this character is wonderfully unpredictable in a predictable sort of way you know right off the bat this movie doesn't pull any punches it's not a mystery it's, okay the movie starts. All right, let me do my 30-second plot summary. After losing his parents in a tragic car accident, Billy has been raised by his Aunt Cheryl. And now that he's getting to be about 18 or so, and he's about to graduate high school and maybe go on to college, we learn that Cheryl has become awfully attached to him, way too attached to him, so much so that she'll do anything to keep him from leaving. She wants him to stay with her forever. Wackiness ensues. She just wants to be loved. She just wants somebody to love. I think that's pretty good. It's pretty accurate. Okay, first of all, the title of this film, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, and its alternate title, Night Warning, have nothing to do with the story. Mm-mm. No. Did you guys watch the trailer? No. No, actually. I just watched it now because to, to pull audio for it for this, it has nothing to do with the movie. Nothing. <laughs> it is one of those movies that you could edit out of context pretty easily. Yeah. That is very true, but this particular trailer doesn't just reframe the story. It makes up a completely new story that has nothing to do with the movie. 
Billy and Julie are in love and they stumble across a, a murder and now nothing's going it, to, it, it's nothing, none of what they talk about happened. Nothing. So they, this trailer was selling bullshit so I can see why nobody's heard of it. Plus it was 1981, mm-hmm. the year of the slasher. This is not a slasher. This would have gotten lost in the shuffle. But Susan Terrell's performance is brilliantly deranged and you could plop Divine into this role. And the movie wouldn't change. No. Okay, it would be better, but it was well, – you're right. But <laughs> I, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that too is it's sort of like a John Watersy kind of situation and dialogue at some points. And Yeah. Um, I also There's... want to remind you of a joke that you made about the title with the – Oh, really? The, the, the Watching Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, that is a title, automatically set me up for disappointment. Because you know that's from a that's from a poem, the old nursery rhyme, rub a dub dub three men in a tub, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. So I'm thinking we're gonna get three hot guys scrubbing each other in a tub at one point, and it never happened. It never happened. Although we do have a sort of gay triangle, so maybe that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. So okay, so <laughs> I mentioned before that we lose Billy, uh, we lose Billy's parents pretty much right at the top of the movie in a tragic car accident that is almost comically epic. It, 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 it is so – what's the word I'm looking for? It's grand guignol. Yeah. Which is like a lot of the movie. The, the movie switches. It's, a lot of it feels like an after-school special, and then, but then John Waters comes traipsing in every now and then. And that's just how this is too. It's like all of a sudden you're just having these regular scenes. Parents are going by in this car accident that is just out of French theater where they threw blood on the audience in the 19th century just to make everything as gross as possible. In a normal movie, a car accident like this would have taken 30 seconds. Oh, we're crashing the car. The brakes have been cut. Oh, no, we're swerving. Oh, there's a truck. Oh, boy, we get hit by the truck and then we're going to clip out. Done. I timed it this time. I was pulling audio to use in this episode. This car accident goes on for four minutes. It's a four-minute car accident. That is epic. And I loved it. Well, just it's li- it's literally all over the place. You know, the brakes go out in the car, and they're just careening down the road, side to side, screaming, screaming, screaming. No, it's And it's... then don't forget the log. The log poking out with the oh red flag. Yeah. Yes, yes. Follow behind this log, and then just like they slam into the log, and then just off, the, off goes the guy's head driving the car. Like, you see it. It just, like, pops backwards. Mm-hmm. And, Snaps yeah. his head right off. But is the car accident over? No. no. no it's just getting Mom started. is left no, 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 no. the passenger side, like, trying to steer the car over her dead lover's body. And then they go over a cliff. And so at a certain point, you're kind of like, okay, she's maybe could have survived that. The car lands upside down in a stream. And then an awkward amount of time passes... It explodes. I felt terrible for this woman because we see her suffering for several minutes with no hope of getting out of this car. But at the same time, I'm going, I would not have been surprised had, after the car had burst into flame that Godzilla showed up, stepped on it, and started roasting marshmallows on the car. And she's trying to call up, being like, I'm okay. I'm still okay. As like rats come and eat her eyes, whatever. Just like <laughs> the 12, the 10 plagues rain down on this car. Like Will Ferrell from. Uh... Austin Powers, it's like, I'm not dead yet. I'm just, I'm really, I'm really badly burned. Yes, <laughs> that Monty Python guy. I feel happy. <laughs> I feel happy. Yeah, it could almost enter that territory. 
but yeah, it was sort of like it's very campy, but not intentionally. But that's the best form of yeah. camp. A former, uh, a frequent guest of the show, Cristiani, is a filmmaker who specializes in horror camp, and he says the first thing to do about making camp is that you can't make camp. Your characters can't play camp. They can't. Your characters can't know they're in a comedy. Everything has to be played for life and death, and everything in this is played like that. So this camp stuff that happens by accident is gold. Because you're going, haha, that's really funny, but at the same time, you're going, that's horrific. Because this opening is shocking. It is shocking. We're literally 30 seconds in, and you're like, holy fuck, what are we in for? Because the other thing is that, which made really obvious that Aunt Cheryl is not well. Like, even from the first, like, first line of dialogue, you're like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, that, that's not a normal woman. And you know damn well that she's got those breaks. Oh, yeah, totally. Just that the look that she gives when she says goodbye, tells Billy, say, Say goodbye to mommy. And the baby screaming like the baby knows I'm never going to see uh, mommy and daddy again. And I, I said again. this before. It's like, what did they say to that kid to get that reaction? Like, that's. They just gave it to Susan Tyrell. And it's like, no. <laughs> she doesn't have no real eyebrows. No. So now we flash forward to the present day of the, the 1980. And we meet teenage Billy. Played by teen pop tiger beat cover model superstar Jimmy McNichol who looks so much like his sister they might as well have cast his sister because at least Christy can act say what you want about Christy Christy knew how to act this boy don't know how to act everything with him is totally wrong but you're totally right because he's playing everything like he's in an after school special it's all got this golly gee whiz shucky darn tone to it for some reason, even though he's immersed in this house, he seems to have no idea that there's something wrong with Aunt Cheryl. I had him come to a conclusion at some point. I'm like, I can either decide that this kid is really stupid or he's like a lobster in a pot who doesn't notice that the water's starting to boil. I think I think that the lobster in the pot is probably more fair because I, I really do think that there's a lot of adolescent awakening being a theme in this. So I kind of want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he it was smarter. He was motivated, was certainly not lazy. He was motivated by his dick. Yeah. He was motivated by his dick like any 17-year-old boy is going to be for the most part. Yeah. Wasn't a bad kid. No. Yeah. No, no. He was a squeaky yeah. clean all-American teen. He was a teen. basketball star. Mike Tracy's a clean he was, teen. Mm -hmm. He got a uh, – a scholarship to college so which is a plot point which is the beginning of yeah. the end because because aunt eyebrows gets all mad and she's like no you can't leave me and well even yeah we, we learned that really on right we learned that it's billy's birthday it's coming up and he wants to bring his girlfriend julie to his birthday dinner and aunt cheryl ain't having that either you know, i was thinking um can i invite julie over for my birthday dinner julie again Sounds serious. I think she's got a crush on me. <laughs> she does? Billy's got a girlfriend. Billy, Billy, you don't do that. That's disgusting. I am going to be your date tomorrow night. Sorry. Whatever makes you happy. You make me happy. And then he mentions that he wants to go. Oh, it's, oh, it's a great news. We found out a basketball coach from Denver University is going to come to our big game and I might get a scholarship to college. She's like, well, what do you want to go to college for? You always said you're going to stay here with me. I'll play in the dialogue from this because it's all opera. Yeah, it really it's is. It's a tragedy. It's a Greek tragedy. I had a long talk with Coach Landers this afternoon. He's got great news. Oh. Yeah. See, he thinks I could get a full scholarship to the University of Denver. 
And there's a scout. He's coming out to our next game. Well, what do you think, huh? What do I think? Forget it. You've got a job next year. I've set it all up. Yeah, but this is a full athletic scholarship. Denver. That's where Julie's going, isn't it? Gee, that'd be nice. The college is for rich kids and people with brains. You wouldn't fit in there. You never said that before. You always said we couldn't afford it. You didn't say you didn't want me. Well, I don't want you to. We can't afford it. Besides, I thought you were going to stay here and contribute something. All we have left is Mommy's house. But I was figuring you'd sell this place. It's too big for you anyway. All my life. I have lived in this house. All my memories are in it. And they're not for sale. And as far as I'm concerned, you owe me. For the past 14 years, I've sacrificed everything to bring you up. Yes, You're the man of this house. You're staying here, and that's it. You're taking that job. I'm going to get that scholarship if I can. I'm going away to school, and no one's going to stop me. Not even you. And for her, all the emotions are at 11 or off. There's no in between. Everything's fine. Everything's under control until all of a sudden it's just not in control. And when it's not in control, it's really, really not in control. But no, definitely not happy that he's trying to go away. No, no. And that there's a girl in his life and just replacing her. And one of the things that I'm glad we're doing this again, I watched it again and I realized little key points that I didn't really notice and parallels to other movies that we just covered on the show as well. Have you guys seen the movie Pin? Canadian movie Pin? No. Fantastic psychosexual thing out of print, but it's on YouTube. Smart, slow burn, really eerie, really creepy, really sad, really tragic. But in that, in this movie, um, the movie we're talking about right now, there, there's a murder halfway through. There's a murder halfway through that comes in totally from left field. When Billy's going off with his girlfriend, Julie, and, and Cheryl's left alone in the house and decides that she's thirsty. She wants some. If Billy's going to get some... I'm going to get some too, which completely parallels a whole plot point that happens in this movie, Pin, but this, with, with, again with incest with a brother and sister. What happens with this TV repairman that Aunt Cheryl invites over? She hits on him, and then he's like, no, lady, I'm not interested, and she gets all angry, and she stabs him. Hits on him is putting it lightly, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, she throws him, herself at him. like, Oh, yeah. From from the second she's getting her hair did and she puts that flower in her hair, you know, she's like, she's up for something. And then she comes up and she just hikes up her skirt and she just starts rubbing her crotch. It's like, is there something else that you could do for me or I could do for you? You know, and at one point he's like not taking it. And it's like, fine, if you want, if you want to do this. And it's like, why don't you try sucking my dick or something? So for some reason, that was too much. That made her snap. Yeah. She's like, oh, my God, how dare you do this thing? Because I can hit on you, but you can't hit on me. And she loses it. Lady, you got to be kidding me. I make you feel bad. Look, lady, I'm just not interested, okay? I won't tell I brought... Yeah, I can't believe it. Please! I need a man! Well, it's not gonna be me. Please! I'll let you do anything to me you want. All right. How about you doing me? Work on it. You stupid bitch! Ah! <laughs> 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 
Go butcher knife. Stab, stab, stab. Stab, stab, mm-hmm. stab. And it, Billy just happens to be coming home from his date at this exact same time for his, for his birthday party. Because mm-hmm. everything's all set up. You know, there's balloons everywhere, sad little balloons and sad little streamers. And he just happens to be walking by the kitchen window. And it's one of these great, again, juxtapositions of tone that you're seeing this man getting stabbed and and Cheryl covered in blood and her tits have popped out of her dress, which they keep doing throughout this whole scene, which is should be hilarious, but it's not. But they're having this fight to the death and Billy walks by the kitchen window and does a perfect comic triple take. Bigga, bigga, beat. I loved it. <laughs> So he steps in. He's trying to see. He thinks his Aunt Cheryl's being attacked, and he's trying to stop it. He winds up getting all the blood all over him. Then the neighbors come over for the party with a cake, and they're just like, oh, shit. Well, no, I love it when Cheryl comes in, and it's like she sees somebody there to, as a witness, and she just goes up to them, and like this, her hands covered in blood, just like rubs them all over, going, oh, woe is me. Rub, rub, rub. And then the neighbor comes over, just like, rub, Like the neighbor's, yeah. like, white blouse. Like, it's, and it's, she's, like, crying. Oh my god! A very visceral and Shakespearean in its own right. I don't know what why I say that, but there's something about that that just reeks of Macbeth. It's Greek. Greek. <laughs> like take it even further back. Like I mean, because Shakespeare got all his tricks from Greek theater. Yeah, and she but she's done the same thing to Billy. She's made sure that, that she's rubbed the Oh Billy, how you got you saved me, you saved me while well, smearing blood all over his face. Mm-hmm. She's like you and all of a sudden now everybody is so viscerally connected to this crime now. Everyone's everyone's involved now. And it's, it's all part of her theater. She's she's putting on a show right now. She's not enough I mean, she's I mean nothing happened to her. Nothing happened to her. She was the she was the instigator here mm-hmm. also fun what i mentioned before is that all of these side parts are made are, are filled by actors that you would recognize and this old couple are freaking great this woman this elder woman is such a hoot oh yes indeed it's like you were you were calling them fred and evla at one point because they were just like they come together they're kind of she's a busy busybody the wife is the husband's like let's just get out of say here say something nuts about her pickled tomatoes there's nothing else to say about her pickled tomatoes it's like i don't want any of these pickled tomatoes let's get out of here but then again so is this old couple that like you said they're busybodies they were awful these are one of the, the relationships are going why don't you people see it either you clearly don't like this woman but you're always here it's because she's a busybody and she knows that there's dirt i guess so she knows there's dirt and there's dirt been brewing for 14 years did you see what she hung up in the living room this time <laughs> what can you imagine that's you're probably right did you get a funny smell when her in there last time which they might have because what we learned later on in the movies there's been a dead body up in the attic for years and cheryl has never been well and her serial killer crossface literally like i mean with the little shrine to her it was a brother right no, her no, boyfriend. boyfriend that's her it. boyfriend. It, it's Billy's yeah, father. Billy's right. real father. Hi, it's me, Patrick from the future again. I just wanted to chime in here because we didn't make this particularly clear. What happens is that we learn fairly early on that Aunt Cheryl has this hidey hole. She literally kicks down a wall after this fight with Billy about the basketball scout that's coming. And you see her in there and she's talking to somebody. I have to tear the wall down. You're the only one I can talk to. Billy's not going. I fixed it. He's going to stay here with us. Everything's going so wrong. 
I just wanted to show Billy I needed his protection. I didn't mean to kill that man. But he hit me. He hurt me. Just like you did. And when we come back and visit her later on, we realize that she's talking to a decapitated body. At some point in the movie, Billy is cleaning out an attic room. Uh, Cheryl wants to convert into an adult apartment for him, you know, like on the Brady Bunch when Greg got too old. And they're like, hey, and they're, well, should Greg and Marsh are far fine. You know what? You know what I'm talking about. They're, she's making him a grown up room. He finds a picture of some dude. Who is that? Who is that? What's the matter? Just, just some twerp. Your mother used to go out Chuck Strang, his name was. And we learn over time that Aunt Cheryl was actually dating Chuck Strang. And that's the dead guy in the attic. And, oh, surprise, that's really Billy's father. And she's his mother. Okay, did you get all that? I don't care. Just bu buckle back in. There's a lot to take. Don't get hung up on detail. Says the guy who's making us get hung up on detail. Back to the show. Because we learn, we learn uh, at a certain point in the film that those people that were killed at the, uh, the beginning of the movie in the car accident, they weren't really Billy's parents. No. And Cheryl's really his mom. She had an affair with some guy, got pregnant. He dumped her. She killed him. The parents, uh, Billy's, uh, her sister, uh, Cheryl's sister was like, well, I'm going to have to raise this baby and pass it off as mine to avoid scandal. And Cheryl wanted her baby back. So she got rid of the parents. Creepy. Ant eyebrows up to here. You keep saying every time I say ant eyebrows, I'm hearing Aunt Ada in my head and I'm picturing Edith, Edith Massey playing the role now. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Aunt Ada. Ooh, Ooh Aunt eyebrows. Aunt Ada. Ooh. <laughs> the life of a heterosexual is a boring and disgusting life. Speaking of which <laughs> What a, what an excellent comment to change the topic, uh, topic of conversation on. Because I mentioned at the beginning, this movie is both incredibly homophobic and yet gay positive at the exact same time. And that all starts to come in here. How does this start to come into play, boys? Well, then Sheriff Bo Svensson, I don't know what his name is in the movie. I forgot already. Um, he comes in and he's sniffing around for a reason for this whole thing and is just not buying Aunt Cheryl's story whatsoever. He just wants to know, he just wants it to believe that, you know, there's some kind of gay love thing going on between uh, the TV repairman and sweet little Billy. You stupid bully! He's telling the truth! Why are you doing this to us? Because there's a dead man lying out there, and I want to know why he died. I kill him! He tried to rape me! It's a hollering contest you want. You're sure as shit gonna lose. Be nice to me. Tried to rape. I disagree. There isn't a bruise on you. Your clothing hasn't been torn. And these two walk in and find Junior here holding the knife. It's interesting. That's all he wants to hear. That's all. That is all he wants to hear. He comes in with that preconceived notion. He's well, he to wants it. to know who's gay because I mean, we he is a that seems to be a running topic with him for yeah. everybody. I could just see him stopping people on the street. Hey, you know anybody yeah. who's gay? Because I mean, I, it was I a think fag. he's pretty much a closeted gay man himself. Our our detective, I think he's got a lot of rage and you know a lot of a lot of a lot of love that he could funnel into the arms of a man but he just someone else's butt yeah. 
someone consent to that. Black funnels. I'm sure that the that the TV repairman and the coach would have been up for three way. You know. Yes. Well, that's the big twist here. Is that in this attack, they're actually telling the police what actually happened. Sort of. They've reversed it a little bit. They're saying he he came over to fix the TV. He attacked Aunt Cheryl and she killed him trying to fend him off. Which is oh, the end part is true. The end part is true. She hit on him. When we say hit on him, she's not just throwing herself. It's rape. She's having a hard time taking no for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> she's like. Yeah. Since you mentioned the flower that she put in her hair, there was a comedian who made a joke once. It's like after a certain age, she said after a certain age, women who wear flowers in their hair, it's just a sign that their vagina is a whirling vortex of never-ending neediness. And that's exactly what we have with Ann Cheryl. <laughs> what I love with this whole... <laughs> I broke Matt. <laughs> what I love with this whole scene that follows, when the, when the police are, are here to inspect her, and she's still in her little dress, and she's still covered in blood, and her boobs keep popping out still, that flower is migrating all over her head of its own accord. It's magical. It's magical. She's serving Eileen Brennan, Mrs. Peacock, realness with this flower that's just migrating over her head. It's it's borderline comic. It's <laughs> if everything wasn't so grim. But yes, we have this horrific homophobic sheriff that's introduced to the story, and this is also when I turned it off. And that first print. Once this, like I said, I tried to watch it that first time, and the sound is bad. The the couldn't see things very well, and then this shit. This asshole comes up. I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. It's 1981. I know where this is going. I did not yeah, know where this I, is going. It because it goes a much healthier way, you would expect. Because, like, it's weird. You said it before. The script of this movie, the plot, is very simple. But the subtext is pretty deep. And I think that you get to a point with the homophobia where it's just like you listen to the words, but then when you, and it sounds really aggressive and awful, but then when you see how gay people are actually in the plot and represented, you're like, okay, no, like the cop is the one that's the jerk and everybody knows that, like, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> So his behavior doesn't get rewarded. Mm -mm. So it's mm -mm. um, it, it, it's wokeness yeah. in the eighties. This whole interrogation scene is grueling and awful because he's not taking the truth for an answer, but he's also not treating the the victim and the and the witnesses like people. He's treating everybody like garbage. It's just this awful macho man shit. Did you actually see Phil Brody try to rape your aunt? Yes. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Yes. Between you and me, Phil. Did you kill him? No. I'm just looking at that poor cake that Edith brought over. I'm like, is that, or that <laughs> Ethel brought over. I'm like, is anybody going to eat that cake? Margie. It's like a nice looking cake. Mm -mm. Nobody's going to eat. Nobody's going to eat any cake. The things that he says to Aunt Cheryl is just are awful. The things he says to Billy are awful. So much so that even Ethel is like, you could you stop talking to them like that? Now, you said you weren't married. Is that correct? Yes. Are you divorced? No. Widow? No. But you do have boyfriends. No. Do you like girls, Miss Roberts? God, you're a pig. You're sick. Why don't you stop tormenting her? Are you talking to me, lady? Yes. Don't. Billy? Where are your parents? They're dead. Let the boy answer. Well, 
My aunt's been taking care of me since I was three. Just the two of you? In this big old house? That must get awfully lonely. No. We're good company for each other. I bet you are. You claim attempted rape. I took a little peek at this Phil Brody. Seems to me that he was a fairly athletic fellow. How come he didn't just pin you down on the sofa? He tried, but I got away. Now, you said he touched your boobie. What else did he do? I refuse to answer any more of your questions. Lady, I don't give a shit what you do. Knock it off. I keep putting southern accents on everybody, but it's not in the south. We're in Flagstaff, Arizona. But incredible, powerful scene. When you step back from it a bit, once you get past it. But the twist is that it turns out that the TV repairman who was killed was gay. Yes. And you would think, oh, that's, that's going to really put a dent in the rape investigation. It does, but in the wrong way. Because now all of a sudden like, this police officer is like, oh, he's gay. And he had this ring on. And the ring is engraved on the inside. And the engraving has the same initials as the basketball coach of Billy's team. Which how he came to that conclusion so quickly is just kind of amazing. But like he's probably had his eyes on all the, the queers and the homos in town anyway. I know jewelry in my town. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything about everyone. <laughs> and I just want to take a moment. Bo Svensson is great in this role. He's playing a shitty villain, but he's playing it really well. Look at him go. Go, Bo. You go, Bo. And one of the other things I want to talk about, like, even though it's not said, all these early scenes with Jimmy McNichol are dripping in sexuality in the wrong kind of way. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it is oddly homoerotic. At a certain point, I said, does this boy own a shirt? Does he own a shirt? He's playing, like, at one point he's playing basketball with his team, and he doesn't have a shirt. And I'm thinking, oh, it's shirts versus skins. I'm like, oh, no, everybody else has the shirt. <laughs> but the moment we're introduced to him as, as an adult, as a young adult, is when he's sleeping and Aunt Cheryl is waking him up. How does Aunt Cheryl wake Billy up in the morning, boys? Oh, she comes over and she purrs at him and she scratches at him and gently caresses, caresses his naked, nubile, young body. Wake up, sweetie. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, your family, you're yeah, sick and twisted. She's crawl, crawled into bed with him and has crawled over him and is scratching him like a kitty and purring in his ear like, what? <laughs> Stop it. Don't do it. No, no, that's really creepy. My earphones. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. I don't like that. Wait. So we're setting, it's, we're setting him up for this weird sexual vibes. And yeah, it turns out that the detective is right. The coach of the basketball team is gay and is in a relationship. Was in a relationship with this. I see. What, I see what you did there, Matthew. <laughs> I remember that thing. Yay! <laughs> I have to cut that out because they're gonna be like, "What did he just show him?" Hi, it's Patrick from the future. If you really must know, at this point in the recording, Matt grabbed this little stuffed lion that he had showed me at his birthday party that you heard about on the last episode, and it's one of those things that when you squeeze it, it purrs. And it sounded really gross in my headphones, so I hope it sounded really gross in yours, too, because you freaked me out. Back to the show. Nicely played, Matt Knife. But it turns out that the coach and this TV repairman were about as married as you could be in 1980 gay life. Well, 
we were talking about this too, where it said that, uh, like, you know, this was that weird cusp time when, you know, the seventies were over. And so like gay people were kind of a little bit more part of mainstream culture. And so the blending that I think was on delayed because of HIV. And so then you have all this homophobia. So this is right before AIDS. So this is that, again, it's like gay people weren't as much of a taboo topic. If nothing else, we're at the height of the death to disco movement, which is, of course, we hate disco because it's black and because it's gay. So, yeah, so the con- these conversations were being had. Yeah, the old school people are just like, no, they're evil. They're evil sodomites and they burn Gomorrah. Well, they're infidelitudes. <laughs> and you have other people going, they're just the people down the street, man. They're fine. He fixes TV. He coaches basketball. Yeah, they're cool. like they're, they're just people. Like... <laughs> But this is also the time that that would get you fired. Yeah. Or, or as the sheriff says, it's like, could get the coach lynched. So lynched. you better get out of town. Yeah. yeah. I found this ring on Phil Brody, the man who got killed. Inside it says, to PB, I take that to be Phil Brody, from TL, and I take that to be Tom Landis. Yes, and that's you. How does Billy figure into this? Billy doesn't figure into this, Carlos. I've coached a kid four years, and I've watched him become a real good ball player. And I care about him. I don't doubt that. I suggest you resign. If you don't, chances are you're going to get yourself lynched. (laughs) (laughs) You have a nice afternoon. Yeah, but it would definitely get you fired. From teaching children. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Hi, Patrick from the future again. I wanted to bring this up because it got left out in this recording. The coach and Billy have a scene after the coach has quit school. And Billy is in the locker room. And he's heading to the shower. So he's just wearing a towel. The coach is in the equipment cage. And they have this whole little scene. And it's dripping with homoeroticism, even though there's none going on. But there's also this tension because I know I, I studied to be a teacher. Well, one of the many things I tried to do with my career, I know there are rules about how you can behave around children. And you guys know about my history in Catholic high school when we'd be in the showers and the brothers would come and talk to us about our English homework while we were in there wet and naked. And it wasn't OK. And this scene brought that back, except there's no tension between either one of them. There's nothing. There, it should be homoerotic, but it's not because it's not in the character's mind. It's in your mind as the, as the watcher, and it's kind of an interesting flip on perspective. Let's take a listen to the scene. Hey, Billy. Yeah. You gonna say hello? Don't you mean goodbye? I heard you quit. Why are you leaving? Look, man, this is something I'm gonna have to fight in my own way, and I just didn't want to be here when I did it. Carlson came over yesterday. I told my aunt you were gay. Don't you worry about it, okay? I don't. You know what? He also says he can prove that I killed Brody. Well, look, you don't, don't let it worry, all right? I'll, I'll go check it out. And then, listen, if there's anything that I can do, all right, you call me. Sure, coach. Anytime? Yeah. Take care, partner. You too. Take it easy. See you, Bill. What really strikes me about this scene is that 
this, the layers that are attached to it. Because like I said, this scene should be wrong. You have an adult man talking to an underage boy in a towel. And that guy just quit because he's a pervert in the eyes of the town. And he snuck back into the school to talk to this boy. That's not right. And those, 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 those two of them are talking about sexuality. They talk about sexuality. And they're showing how much they care about each other. And that's wrong. Except they're talking about sexuality. And they're showing how much they care about each other. But sex is not even in the equation of those two characters. It's in our heads. So it's an interesting flip on the script and why I think it's fascinating. And my favorite bit is the very end. When the coach says, well, goodbye, Billy. And Billy says, goodbye, coach. And the coach says, goodbye again. See you, Billy. Actually, no. He doesn't say, see you, Billy. He says, see you, Bill. Not Billy. Bill. He's the only character in this whole movie that calls him that. He's the only character that's treating Bill like a man, like an adult, like a peer. It's a beautiful moment, and it breaks my heart. Because he thinks it's the last time. And you can see how much that that man actually cares for that boy in a completely non-sexual way. It is actual love between two men that is not sexual. I think it's fabulous. Let's get back to the show or I'll be talking about this all goddamn night. They have several scenes together. The coach and the cop. And I'm going, you know, this movie would have so much different ending if you two just made out. I <laughs> mm -hmm. understand you're resigned. Smart move. Good for everyone. What do you want? Uh, I forgot to tell you something, Carlson. What? Phil Brody used to be married. And that means that uh, Cheryl Roberts' story might possibly be true. Why are you telling me this? I thought it might help you. Help me? <laughs> or help your butt boy, Billy. Carlson, what's your problem? People like you, get the fuck out of my office. Just make out. Or other things. And sure, it'll be fine. Just make out. Billy will be fine. <laughs> but no, he's got this whole complex love triangle of gay they murder might death. They even let Aunt Cheryl watch. You know, I mean. Oh, just, I just picture her eyebrows just melting from the sex and stuff. <laughs> or they just Running get higher down, and higher. Running down her face. <laughs> Higher and higher up on her forehead or the opposite, you know. So now all this attention is on Billy because the cop, the cop has determined that Billy did this. Billy, he wants to frame Billy for all of this. And the other two are implicated somehow that it was some gay rape trio running around, whatever. You've got technique, pal. Damn good moves under the basket. Coach Landers teach you those? Yeah. Doesn't it bother you that he's a fag? Come Tell me, Ben, are you a fag? No. I'm going to ask you again. Keep in mind that it pisses me off when people lie to me. Are you a fag? You're crazy. Phil Brody. Remember him? The man that got wasted here? Well, he was a fag. And it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense for a fag to be raping your aunt. Now, does it? What does make sense is if you are a fag, too. Now, I'm just postulating. But I believe that you and Phil Brody 
were having a lover's quarrel. And the thing got a little out of hand. And your aunt walked in and saw you with a knife in your hand and decided to take the rap. On your outside jump, stay loose. Helps. And your wrist, keep it limp-like. That shouldn't be too difficult for you. Also in this, in this mess is Julie. Billy's girlfriend, played by Julia Duffy from Designing Women. <laughs> Alice at Sugar Bacon. With Alice at Sugar Bacon. I was hoping one of you would chime in because I knew she was a sugar baker, but with I forgot which her one. Annoying personality disorder. <laughs> 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 and I will admit, when I was watching this movie, I kept expecting her to snap <laughs> into Alice at Sugar Baker. <laughs> yeah, she was on everything. She was in New Heart. She was on the soaps back in the day. She was on the Scream Queen show with Ryan Murphy. She just let, and she's great in this. It's a thankless role. Mm-hmm. But she's but charming. she really holds it together, you know. She's kind of the glue. Like, what are you seeing this guy? Because this kid's boring as fuck. <laughs> and she's a 30-year-old teenager, so. She's a 30-year-old. Well, that's that's any movie of the any 80s. Movie. Come on. Yeah. yeah. And he wants to get this basketball scholarship so he can go to Denver College with her. And she's probably like, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Either put out or get out. That's what she's saying. But she helps him out, though, in the end. Yeah, sort of in a way. Again, back to Bo Swenson. Like he has a scene with Julia Duffy, where he's interrogating her on the street, and it's gross. How, how's Billy with you? I mean, is he strong, aggressive, kind of? Lieutenant, you seem to have something on your mind. I'd like to know what it is. I need to know if you two are making it. That's none of your business. A man got killed. Supposedly by a woman who's claiming attempted rape. The man was a homosexual and an acquaintance of Billy. I have a responsibility to find out whether or not Aunt Cheryl is covering for Billy and whether or not he's a homosexual too. That's ridiculous. So tell me, are you two making it? I'm not going to answer that. Julie, I think you just did. He's more of a man than you'll ever be. Okay. And I love it because Julie Duffy's like this big. She's a tiny little person. And both Vincent is huge. And she held her own against him in a movie at a time where you don't see that. She's just like, no, that's none of your business. Fuck off. No apologies. Nothing. Yeah, she holds her own here at this point. Ted Casablanca is not a fag, and neither is Billy. <laughs> I have that painted on a canvas in here somewhere. Of course you do. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> Ted Casablanca is not, a fag. is not a fag. The other person I just want to throw in, because I'll forget otherwise, because he's a minor character in this, little boy from Texas who fought off aliens, got killed by the Terminator, and turned into a pile of poo. He had multiple wives on TV. He sure did. Bill Paxton's in this. And the director actually wanted Bill Paxton to play Billy. But the producers wanted Jimmy McNichol for, you know, the teenager, the teeny bopper tickets for this totally gay, not gay movie. Oh, well. Hey, Lynch. Next time, keep your queer hands off of me. Okay. I don't like to be touched. Knock it off, Eddie. I didn't foul you. Bull. Hey, what are you getting so hot about now, huh? We're on the same team. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just that some of us think we're better than others. 
Some of us are better than others. We'll find out about that. And so I think I want to add that a visual component to the scene is that Bill Paxton and Jimmy McNichol are sparring off against each other, and they're they're placed fairly wide apart from each other on the screen. In between them is the doorway to the boys' locker room. And standing in the doorway, for some reason, of the boys' locker room is a boy in a towel. And the boy can barely keep the towel on. So you, you have these guys having this hyper-masculine fight while there's a semi-nude man in between them. So again, we're just dripping with heterosexual, I mean, with homosexual subtext. And it's delicious. Early Bill Paxton pops up in the weirdest places, and I'm not complaining. And I also argue, too, that, like, this movie, much like Weird Science, is oddly homo- homoerotic again. Like, because, like, there's something about that, like, amped up, angry 80s machismo that just reeks of, like, hey, somebody come fuck me. <laughs> you know? It's... Put your dick in my mouth or I'll beat you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bill Passion's on the basketball team as well, and he's also bullying Billy. Assuming that Billy's gay. Yes. Many scenes of him tormenting him. Hey, Lynch. You hear about your buddy, the coach? <laughs> yeah, Eddie. Kind of interesting. Billy, ignore him. You were always in Landers' office. I always thought you guys were, you know. What? Real close, Lynch. I mean, real close. <laughs> And that's when I started to realize, I'm like, you know what? Everybody who's a homophobe in this movie is a villain. As much as Anne Cheryl is. And in some cases, they're worse than Anne Cheryl. And now that I think of it, even Anne Cheryl gets a couple of homophobic, well, as she would say, homophobic digs into the movie. So, yeah, homophobia and villainism is equated in this movie. Did you know that Coach Landers was a homosexual? No. Billy? No. Do you know that homosexuals are very, very sick? Do you know that, Billy? Coach Landers is not sick. Billy! Hi, Patrick in the future again. I just wanted to chime in that the way Aunt Cheryl just said, Billy! She could have been the killer in Black Christmas. <gasps> Scandal! What a twist. Back to the show. Which is why I said gay, this is actually oddly gay positive. And the gay people wind up being the heroes in the end. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I did enjoy the fact that this lovely scene... Um, in the uh, outdoor picnic area at the school where Bill Paxton is harassing Jimmy McNichol for being gay ends with Bill Paxton getting a face full of cream. <laughs> Billy pours his milk all over, Bill, all over Bill Paxton's head. And this is the, only the first time in this movie that we're going to get a teenage boy with milk all over his face. <laughs> because milk is a recurring theme, too. That's a recurring symbol, I should say. It's a recurring symbol. It does a body symbol. good. Yes, it does. Both is milk and also is semen. Hello, Aunt Cheryl. Mother's milk. As, as well, we we are learning. Oh, is that what she was mm-hmm. putting in the milk? <laughs> well, unfortunately, <laughs> well, when we did this the first time, Scott and I made cocktails. We made that milk punch, and it was milk, half and half. Semen. And bourbon and simple syrup. And it wasn't actually bad. So, yeah, it was clink. I'm flimming up just thinking about it. But wouldn't the alcohol, like, kind of kill the, the phlegm? Um, hello, this is Phlegm de Gargoyle. Matt Knife, I got my eye on you and my butt open. You've been warned. So, yeah, so all this investigation is going on, and Anne Cheryl is becoming more and more unhinged because 
we're getting closer and closer to the big basketball game when the scout is going to come and possibly take Billy away from her forever. And I love all this stuff. She she does two-face really well. She'll speak sugar to your face, and then the second your face is turned, the second your eyes are turned, her face contorts into some like Greek tragedy mask all of a sudden. <clears throat> she reminded me of Kathleen Turner in Serial Mom at certain points because how Kathleen Turner was able to turn the crazy on and off. So does Ann Cheryl. I mean, it's always on, but she's able to put the mask on and hide it really oh, well. So creepy, yeah. But she's constantly serving this, I want to say over the top face, but it's not hammy. It's perfect. Perfect amount of craziness. Okay. So anyway, it's the big basketball game. And Ann Cheryl's decided, oh, well, since we brought it up, how's she gonna how's she gonna interfere and make sure that Billy doesn't get that scholarship? What does she have planned? She poisons the milk. Billy, can I talk to you? Is it important? I'm in a hurry. It's very important. Billy, please come sit down. I thought you'd like a glass of milk, some of your favorite chocolate chip cookies. Good luck. I mean it, Billy. I know how important tonight is for you. I want you to know that if you get that scholarship, I'm behind you, 100%. Good luck tonight, Billy. You know, he's been drinking milk the whole time because he, it, milk does a body good. Well, in this case, it's not going to do a body good. So she poisons the milk so that Billy loses the big game and cra- like stumbles in the big game and falls over and hits his poor little head. And then Cheryl comes over and Cheryl comes over and goes, oh, Billy. It's very Midnight Express. Oh, Billy. It was very Midnight Express. I heard tits popped up probably <laughs> to, to make sure they did that. <laughs> I love the whole basketball scene because, again, this feels like we're in a teen movie or an after-school special and not a horror movie. And there were some hot mustaches in, in the extras, which keep me very entertained. Yes, indeed. Again, these are high school kids and hot mustaches. You know, 30-year-old no, teenagers. No, they were, I was like the, the dads. Oh, know. okay. Some of the cheerleaders had mustaches, too, but that's another story. <laughs> it was the 70s. Nobody shaved anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> so speaking of the poison milk, and I'm going to try to describe this so people know, one of my favorite moments with Aunt Cheryl is when she's poisoning the milk. So she has the milk in her hand, and she sort of does this creepy over-the-shoulder, like, as she's a dropper poison. And it's very Bugs Bunny-esque. Like, she looks to the left, and she looks to the right, and then she, like, dropper, dropper, droppers into the, like, it's just so over-the-top. It's funny you should say that because I thought the witch in Snow White. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> poisoning the apple. And when we say poisoning the milk, it's not poison. She's doping the milk. But I also love that they, even that gets unhinged as the movie goes on. So she, like, she, she does it a few times. And every time she does it, it just gets more and more. <laughs> the whole thing in. It just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. My favorite part of this whole basketball scene, though, is after Billy has his accident and he, and he hits his head and everybody starts swarming around him. The team swarms around him, and, and Julie, Julie comes running in. Oh, is he okay? I'm wearing a knit cat in Arizona. I don't know why, but she comes in. Oh, no. And Cheryl just strides across the basketball court like she is Rue McClanahan walking across the bedroom in her, in her Benoit nightgown. Whoop, just sashes across, body checks Julia across the room to get to Billy to put on this performance. It's fantastically gay. I love it. <laughs> Move it, honey. <laughs> I'll show you how a real grieving girlfriend does it. Oh, Billy. Oh, no. We've got to take him home. No, we're not taking him to the hospital. He's got to come home with me. 
one of the things I do love about this movie, and we talked about this last time as well, is that a, a mostly her dialogue, it reminded me of John Waters in the way that John Waters' dialogue is gritty, but also oddly elevated. The speech patterns are weird, which again makes it like Shakespeare or Greek theater. Well, I always felt that John Waters, their rants, like especially early John Waters, where it's like, he tells the performer to take a deep breath and then just try to do the whole monologue in one breath. <laughs> Cause like Mink Stoll is particularly bad about it. Like you could tell she like just goes and goes and goes and goes. And then she's like, <gasps> <laughs> why is she blue? Oh, she's acting. That's good. That's good. That's funny. I did not know that. No, I knew. Some, I know a lot of times he gave. He would give line ratings like you need to say this line like this, so it would not be. It's not natural. His deliveries are not natural. Why don't you go grab your toolbox and go fuck a garage? I'm gonna get my hair done. I really want to watch Female Trouble now. Like it's, I'm putting it on when we're done with this. Listen up, you lesbians! Bumping pussies is against prison rules. But her dialogue is like that. She's got a scene where she walks in on Julia, uh, Julia and, and Billy having sex, and she flips the fuck out. And she says, You get dressed and get that slut out of here. It is not a far stretch of my very, very gay imagination to picture Divine opening up that bedroom door and going, Get dressed and get that slut out of here. I want cha-cha heels. Later on, after this basketball game, and he's been injured, and she's got him locked up in the attic now in this weird baby's room that she has got set up. Like, she's infantilized him now. And he's like, but, but, Aunt Cheryl, I have to go to school. And she's like, you don't want to go back there anyway, Billy. You've learned enough. Size is full of perverts. Stay here with me. And once again, Divine pops into frame and says, it's full of perverts. You stay here with me. Total John Waters line. <laughs> Total John Waters line. Sign me up for that. That's high school. <laughs> high school full of perverts and sluts. I majored in perverts yeah. and sluts. I mean, of course, as a high school student. I lettered in perverts and sluts. Well, you went slut to all-boys school, didn't you? See? I sure did. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You could be, okay, sidebar, you could be anything at an all-boys school. Like, the, the, the football players could hang out with the chess team, and the nerds could hang out with, you know, whatever. All social boundaries were suddenly down because there was no girls to impress. Mm. That was interesting. The one thing you couldn't be was gay or effeminate. Mm -mm. So yeah, nothing went on when I was there. But afterwards, I'm like, oh wow, everybody I went to school with was gay. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> my my 20 year reunion was like, you cocksucker, I knew it. <laughs> no idea. So where are we? Billy just had sex. Billy just had sex, and then the basketball game happened. We're doing things out of order. But after this whole basketball scene with the doping of the milk and Billy being laid up is when the wheels really come off the cart and cheryl is not doing well what i enjoy about this the first half of the movie cheryl is is presenting is what her version of attractive is or what her version of sane looks like like i said she's always got this mask on that i can blend now i can blend look at my cute little wig look at my cute little outfit and at a certain point in the movie she don't give a fuck no more she cuts all of her hair off and spends the rest of the movie in the dumpiest ass house coat no fucks left to give and i applaud that i applaud that fuck sanity i'm done after getting thrown out of the house by crazy Aunt Cheryl, uh, Julie comes back to apologize. And Aunt Cheryl is absolutely deranged in this scene. And I was just looking at Julie going, read the room, honey. 
Read the room. Get out. You in danger, girl. Robert, what are you doing in here? I told you that Billy is under doctor's orders to rest. I know. I didn't come to see him. I came to apologize. I don't want any apologies from you. I am inviting you to get out of here. No. Not until I've said what I came to say. You can talk to your blue in the face. I saw you the other night. I know what you do. You're smart. We've seen that. How do you not see this? How does nobody see this? Because she's cut her little hair off. She's in the in the house coat, and she's and Cheryl's taking a steak out, and she's tenderizing it to pulp. I hope you're not gonna make me throw you out. I spent a lot of the movie being very concerned about Julie. I liked her. And she's a girl in a movie like this. I mean, mm, something really bad is going to happen to her. This whole last half of the, or the whole last reel of the film put me through the ringer because I thought she was dead like seven times. Well, and it was funny because when I rewatched this, and granted it was a few months between, but I couldn't remember the second viewing if she lived or if she didn't live. Like, cause I was like, I think she lives. Cause I don't remember being upset. Cause I would have been upset if she had died. Cause she was like the only character that was really like good, like genuinely good. She had a future. She's the only one that I see right. with an actual future. Billy, yes. I don't see much of one because there's nothing going on between his ears. Okay. Since you brought it up, Matthew, and since we're about that point, can we talk about the two nude scenes? Yes. So we have Julia has uh, Julie Duffy uh, has a scene in bed with Jimmy. Why do I keep forgetting his name? Jimmy McNichol and her breasts are seen at a certain point. And oddly enough, for an '80s exploitation film, it, it, it's it's a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. It's not exploitive. She looks totally comfortable. It feels like appropriate nudity, you know, like if you were going to show like, um, you know, people after they were done having sex, like they're laying in bed, they're cuddling together. Like that's like, you know, she's not worried that her tits are out because she's with her boyfriend, you know, I mean, dipping out for hours. Yeah. Well, and she's not being and she's not being slutty about it. Like, you know, typical 80s slasher flicks, even though this isn't a slasher film. You know, she's not like, ooh, look at me taking my top off and, like, rubbing them or something. It's just like, no, they're there. Case in point, this reference. Either that or be something like, I watched some movie a while ago, and I can't remember the name of it. But there was, in the first half hour, there was at least seven different shower scenes. Starship Troopers? No, no, this is some budget thing. It was some budget thing. And it's another cheerleader in the shower. I had no idea that girls' tits got so dirty. Because all they did was lather and lather and rinse, and then they'd lather them again, and they'd lather them, and they'd rinse, and the camera would just be zoomed in on them and just zoomed in. Just a big tit in the screen, no head, just another wet tit. being. I mean, it takes a lot of time to clean your boobs. Like, I mean, (laughs) just... I mean, we have to check our male privilege here. I mean, we don't... We I mean, it might take a long time. 
that may be so, but the camera doesn't have the camera doesn't have to lovingly linger on. <laughs> I guess not because it does take a long time to wash our penises too, and we don't watch that. At least not these type of movies. So. True. Well, you know, then every movie would be three hours long. But we don't get that. It's a loving shot. Just her leaning back in bed. It's beautifully lit. I said, that was gorgeous. Smash cut across the hall. Billy's taking a shower after getting reamed out by Ann Cheryl. And she just barges in. Billy, I want to talk to you. Well, I don't, okay? Billy! Do you mind? I want you to promise me that you will never do that again. Tell me a towel. Jesus, Ann Cheryl, I'm 17 years old. And it's not the end of the world. Are you arguing with me? No, I... Do you promise? And he's standing there naked with his butt to the camera. Not trying to hide it. This is the exact opposite of that scene. This scene is exploitive as it gets. Nothing about this scene is normal. Nothing about this scene is comfortable because they have this whole scene where they're yelling at each other. She's like, Aunt Cheryl, get me a towel. Well, he's just standing there with his dick mm-hmm. in her face. Well, no, I mean, he is kind of standing like three quarters away from her. So he did sort of make the choice of like, okay, you're not looking at my dick, but you're looking like she can see my butt. And so on one hand, I sort of took it as... Like, it's his aunt. Like, it's his mom. And also, we know that she wants to fuck him. She wants to fuck that boy. And I'm, and she's his mother. Initially, I wrote it all because this, this, I thought they put the scene in for the, for the teeny boppers who loved Jim Nickel from the Tiger Beats. In the contrast of the two scenes, I see what they're doing. I like it. It, it. It's a much smarter film than I thought it was. And something that we didn't bring up that I should bring up is the director of this movie is William Asher. This is a weird thing for William Asher to do. You probably don't recognize the name out there, but believe me, you know who he is. This guy was television. He directed every hit show on television. He directed almost every episode of I Love Lucy, every episode of Bewitched. He was even married to Elizabeth Montgomery for a while. Uh, he directed tons of episodes of Alice, uh, every beach blanket, all those beach blanket bingo movies. He did all of them with Annette Funicello. He did uh, Patty Duke. He did a... Well, <laughs> The Patty Duke show, I should say. I don't know if he did Patty Duke or not. He did Gidget. He did the Paul Lynn show. So this guy knows his shit, which is why he got these good actors. I enjoyed it. But anyway, so things are coming unhinged. She's now, after this basketball incident, and she's got him in that weird baby room, she's keeping him doped up 24-7. He's never leaving the house again. Uh, Julie's onto it. She knows something weird is going on. So she has this scene, like I said, but she's trying to apologize, but also trying to get information and winds up getting her head bashed in with a meat tenderizer. She's asking questions. She goes into the fridge for something. And then Aunt Cheryl, like she takes the, the meat cleaver that she was using to like beat the pulp out of the steak. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Beats her upside the head. It's like, oh no, Julie's out for, down for the count. What's going to happen with Julie? Oh my God, what's happening? Right. But she doesn't have a lot of time to think about it because Ethel Mertz comes over for yet another visit. Yes, that's right. Because she barely hides Julie before Ethel Mertz comes in. I love the mm-hmm. scene, too, where it's just like as as Marge is snooping around, it's like Cheryl goes into the kitchen or the refrigerator again for something. And she just rather comically notices a bit of blood on the shelf on the door. Like, bit of blood? Bit of blood? A bit, bit of blood. blood. <laughs> and she just like wipes it off with her with her scarf or her shawl or whatever and just like... Rather comically, making big eyes and ooh, 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 gotta hide this. What happens then is Billy comes back from snooping around the house because that's why Julie was there in the first place. She was a distraction. Oh, right, right, So right, right. Billy comes down from snooping around the house. Oh, right, he, fa- he found out, he, f- he found, the, found the letter, yeah. So then this is where, where Aunt Cheryl had been going into the refrigerator and like, I'm gonna give him an extra dose of, of, of milk poison. 
and make weird eyes, make sure no one's looking at me here. So Billy drinks it and then he stands up and he just faints rather comically, just stands straight up and falls right over. And so Marge and Cheryl take Billy up to the bedroom again and try to keep him calm. And by this point, Marge is just like, something's up. I still say you should call a doctor. Margie, you have said that ten times now. He'll be fine, thank you. Why don't you go home? I don't need you anymore. I see. Well, obviously you know what you're doing. I just wanted to be of some help. But if you don't want... I don't. So she's just sniffing around, and a big storm's like, okay, coming. Okay, I'm gonna go. Bye. Here I am. Totally leaving. Totally Bye. leaving. Let me. Let oh, me... she does that. She actually opens the door. Yeah. Let me <laughs> check some doors like and take a look at everything. Yes. I'm gone now. I'm halfway down the driveway. And she hears what's going on in the bedroom, and it's insanity. Playing the audio. Drink it. Drink it. I spoke to Chuck about you. It's all your fault. He agrees. She eventually gets caught by Aunt Cheryl, the closet, uh, looking for the umbrella in the closet. She finds Julie's camera because Julie's a photographer and yeah, she finds the camera and blood on it. And we already heard her tell Julie's parents had called the house previously saying, oh, have you seen Julie? She said she was coming over here and she has been home for dinner. And Aunt Cheryl said, no, haven't seen her. But clearly she has because there's a bloody camera in the closet. Billy, that Julie had been here. Do you always listen on other people's phone conversations? <laughs> I wasn't listening. I, I was... What are you doing here? I closed your windows. It looks like it's gonna rain. You better go, Margie. Do you mind if I use your phone to call Frank? I don't want to get caught in the rain. There's an umbrella in the broom closet. better you than go. So yeah, so this is when Marge goes to the closet to look for the umbrella and instead finds the camera. And Cheryl catches her with the camera, and so Marge has to die. So we have a great chase scene with old Ethel Mertz here. I, I do I do enjoy an old lady chase scene in general when it's two old lady versus old lady. <laughs> There's a point. Ethel's by herself, she's trying to figure out where to go, what to do. From the bushes, you hear, and Cheryl's purring at her like a jungle cat. What the fuck? Carol Baston.
And that purr is the last thing that poor old Marge ever hears because Cheryl guts her like a carp. This whole massacre that happens there, she kills this old woman, she kills a cop who's coming by, not the bad cop, this other cop, and gets in a final showdown with Billy, which is all epic and operatic, operatic and fabulous and gore streaks. Right? Yes, we see Julie come back. You know, she she wakes up from her from her head injury. Not a scratch on her. No blood. I'm on her blonde. <laughs> we heal easy. <laughs> yeah, it hides it all. You know, and she discovers the 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 dead body. Oh, the chuck in the a jug, jar. right? <laughs> chuck in a jug. Chuck it. Chuck it. Chuck it. Remember when I said that Aunt Cheryl was keeping a decapitated body in her little crawl space room? Yeah, we we know that's Chuck. We know that's Chuck Strang, but. We find the head's still there, but it's been pickled and it's in a jar. We got a jar of Chuck. Chuck in a jar. A couple years ago, Dick in a Box was a big sensation. This year, give your loved ones Chuck in a jug. And then we have a showdown with Julie and Cheryl. Yeah. An- another epic battle. In the river. Yeah. 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 And this time, Julie yeah, Julie gets hit on the head again several times with she's a blonde. <laughs> and she's down. Again, I thought she was dead, but this, ha- this fight scene is incredible. They're fighting in this little pond of water and for a while julie's got aunt cheryl's head under the water i'm thinking oh yeah she's got that she's got that all of a sudden it just flips and it's over and she's knocked out with a rock again i'm like damn it now she's really dead you don't get two chances in a movie like this well i'm wrong she done proved you wrong she's resilient because she's as i said like the only like truly good care good intelligent character whereas billy is more naive i think is the word for it that's a generous word, but I'll I'll accept yeah. it. I'll accept it. I think he's dumb, dumb as a stump. But ain't no shame in that either. It's kind of a hard. It's a very nuanced uh, difference. It's, it's like what is the difference between naive and stupid? Lobster in a pot. I guess a naive person learns, whereas a stupid person doesn't. He just never sees what's in front of him. But anyway. And I will also like to, in the future, counter Matt's argument that Julie is the only smart, caring individual in this story because i would say the coach is also that coach is always on billy's side coach is always doing the right thing and coach is smart as heck and julie and coach both standing at the end okay so back to the story billy's gotten out of his room he's heavily heavily drugged and he's trying to get out and find help and etc etc so he has an epic battle with Aunt Cheryl, which is gory and brilliant which he tries to call for help and she grabs the phone and she's strangling with him with the cord and she licked his neck. Like, this is fucked up. Well, she open mouth kissed him, though. No. Yeah. She no, she licked his neck when she, oh, like. Oh, my. That was a completely different neck licking scene. Poured a bunch of milk down his throat. Yeah, that was a, diff- a different neck licking scene. No, they were up in the bedroom, and she poured a bunch of milk down Of course, down his another milk bukkake scene, place, yes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a milk facial, yeah. And then she's wiping it up, and then it's like, she's like, she's in a hurry, because she's got to go after Marge. She just licks it up off of his neck, and you're like, Ugh. But then, yes, when she's trying to strangle him with the phone and she lets like almost lets him go or has to do something else. She's like big, wide, open mouth kiss on him. It's just like, oh, God, creepy. That's your mom. Who are you talking to? Girlfriend. Oh, forget it. I'm your girlfriend now. <laughs> Honey, I won't go. Oh, I know you won't go. 
No problem. I know you want to go. Except I to go. I put him down there where he belongs. With me forever. My rotten sister. She tried to take you away from me. I took care of her, too. Don't ever make me do that to you. You promise? I promise. You promise? No. You little white shit! And it's your aunt mom. Your mom aunt. But then he stabs her with a letter opener. He stabs her with a letter letter opener. And nobody goes down in this movie easy because, of course, she's got to pop up at least one more time. And again, wonderful faces, brutal battle, gory, great. But, of course, it's not over because it turns out in this movie, Aunt Cheryl isn't – she's a villain. She's the main villain. But there's someone in the movie who's a hell of a lot worse that needs to be dealt with. The victim was a fag. The coach is a fag. And a kid is a fag. Which is why Billy, when he does finally get a chance to call for help, he can't call the police. So he calls the coach. The coach. Because the, the police have been up his ass. and Or they want to be. Well. Thank, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. The police have been up his ass. So it makes sense that you initially I went, why are you calling the coach, idiot? Call the police. Oh, because if you call the police, they're going to send him. And the coach yeah. comes. Hello. Coach Lanners. Hi, this is Billy Lynch. All right. I, I need your help. My, my mother's dead. Your mother? What are you talking about? My mother's dead. I just killed her. Right, hold on. You'll have it right there. Poor bereft, widowed, widowered coach comes to help this kid who's covered in blood with a dead woman right there. And, of course, when the cops do eventually show up because they've been alerted. To, they're looking for Julie, and they figured it out, and they've all arrived at the scene at the same time. And, of course, it's like, oh, well, look what we got here. Which of you two assholes killed No! It was her! She killed him! Look in the basement! Get on the radio and get her some medical attention right away. Shouldn't I check the basement? She saw Miss Roberts kill Cook. Carlson, the girl says... I don't care what she says. Get on! No! No! Look at what we got here. We got two homosexuals and a dead body. dead body. Twice killed dead body by this point. Julie's like, I got three! I got three! (laughs) I I did more. (laughs) But yeah, he's he's trying to paint this whole picture. He's like, oh no, I'm going to turn... He's he's pulled guns on them. It's, It's not good. It's not good. But what I loved here is that it's the gay man... Who's the hero here? He he's the one who called got called in to save the situation. He's the one who's who helped Billy through all this, and who's left standing at the end? They fight with the cop, get the gun away from him, and shoot him. Mm-hmm. Kill him. Mm-hmm. Give me the gun. Come on. Give me the gun. Billy. Give me the gun. You're not gonna shoot nobody. Come on. Give me the gun. Give me the gun, Billy. Come on. Give it to me. Can I also say how, like, Greek theater, the, like, when Aunt Cheryl gets stabbed in the shoulder, then she goes and pulls it out and screams, and it's really intense and crazy. Like, you know, it's like that crazy person strength. And then she gets impaled by the fire poker right in the gut. In the gullet. 
and gun dad cross-eyed. And it's not funny. It's a bold choice. I loved it. Grand Guignol again. Grand Guignol. What else that was fascinating was that at the end of all this, the cops were like, oh, good, you shot him. They, all the cops knew this guy was an asshole. Like, yeah, no, no, we know, we know, we know. We got this. We got this. We all know what he is. <laughs> we're just going to, like, we're going we're gonna to take care of this. And they just kind of, like, kick some dirt on him and walk away. <laughs> of course, poor Julie's that, poor Julie was, has shown up again at this point. Another cop has found her. And she's screaming at them, like, no, it's not them. It was her. It was her. She did this to me. And they're going, shut up. Of course, it's the cops not listening to women again. Men not listening to women telling the truth. But when it's all said and done, like, okay, we're going to take her home. I'm like, take that. She's been knocked unconscious twice. <laughs> take that girl to a hospital. But she doesn't have a drop of blood on her. You know, she should be bleeding profusely all over her head. Nothing. But she's blonde. So there you go. The water just washed it all away. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wow. right. That's right. Come to think of it, I think she was pretty dry at that point, too. Fire back in. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Murder our budget? Do you think we're made of water? It's, it's Arizona, for Christ's sake. It's a drought season. I love this movie. I thought it was an absolute hoot. Thank you, Matt, for, for making me watch it again. No, I think it's I think it's totally a very relevant movie to right now. Mm-hmm. I think in this post-Me Too 45 world, Mm-hmm. that we're in um, all cops are bastards yeah i think that it's it's very anti-police does do not believe victims do not treat victims well i think it does also sort of throw a not everybody tells the truth about being a victim which i think is an important theme that you know gay people are just people and shit happens to them also and it's just it's very just an interesting little movie for a rep i just i just need to do this because everything that i needed to learn in life i either learned from the brady bunch or porn so i would be remiss not to tip my hat to character actor Britt leach who's in this movie he plays the uh the lieutenant yes. cop the, the decent one who wants to do the right the, thing but just keeps getting cock blocked the good, the good cop. cop again if you were alive in the 70s you know this dude he was I mean, for me, the Brady Bunch connection for me is that he was Davy Jones's manager. Girl, look what you've done to me. And Britt Brit, Brit is sitting in the corner doing this. <laughs> That's what you do when you're a music manager. I'm nodding my head really cool. But if you don't know who I'm talking about, he was also in Silent Night, Deadly Night. He was the toy shop manager at the beginning mm-hmm. who gets killed. And you guys mentioned some other stuff that he was in um, recently. Oh, he was in um, Great Outdoors. He was the guy that got electrocuted a couple times, like hit by recently. I said, I said recently. Uh, yes, totally. That's a total recent movie. <laughs> I will totally hate so within my life. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Mike, that was last year, right? I also think another interesting thing that happens in this movie too is like the fear of your kid being gay is a is a pretty big theme. You know, there's so much emphasis on Billy's sexuality and you know, even though his heterosexuality is pretty obvious. I mean, I guess Billy could possibly be bi. I mean, it it could. Well, Matthew, if he keeps going to that school full of sluts and perverts, they're going to indoctrinate him, making it modern again. That's got the liberal. The liberal school's going to give him the liberal gay. They'll give him the gay lasers or the the the, the chemtrails. <laughs> the chemtrails are making us gay. Is that the new theory? I thought it was the frogs were making people gay too. It's the milk. 
Yeah, it's the milk. <laughs> it is the milk. Milk makes a body gay. Part of me almost wants to see this as a musical. It could work. An opera. An opera, yeah. Yeah, I think an opera would be more appropriate. Because we were talking about this. It's more like, you know, there's the impulse to make, to turn things into musicals. And I think oftentimes that impulse should be an opera. Like Spider-Man, the opera sounds a little bit more real than the musical. Because musical, I just think of like people standing around doing jazz hands like this. And what's wrong with that, Matthew? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? If that's if that's your <laughs> cup of tea and that's what get you gets you off, that's not, that's fine. Whereas I like more. Honey, I was raised in the Hammett Cheese School of Acting, so yeah. See, I like more. Um, I would rather heighten it up a little more, like you know, make it more um, dirty and grittier, and you know, it's like musicals are fluffy in my mind, you know. Operas. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, I've often said when when I first heard that Carrie was being made into a musical, I said, "What a great idea!" Because in my head, I said, "That's going to be a rock opera," and it wasn't. <laughs> okay, so um, I think we've done Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. It's a tough movie to talk about because there's so many things going on at once, and you really need to experience for yourself. Find it on Shutter. Find yourself a good copy. Oh, you know what? This Monday, we're going to be screening it. We're going to be doing a Monday night watch party of Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. So 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, visit ScreamQueens.com slash drive-in. Come party with us. We always have fun. Matt, why don't you remind us again where people can find what more about you and Baron Von Soap? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, MattKnife3, and that is my burlesque persona. So uh, you can stay tuned there to see me perform. I do a lot of horror-themed burlesque acts. Um, I also have Matthew Z. Kessler Art, which is all my fine art and painting, which you can't see behind me at the moment, but there's tons of art behind me that's mine. And then Baron Von Soap, uh, which is where I showcase my soap. And then there's a link to my Etsy shop in the bio. Excellent. Thank you. And Cubby, where can people find out more about you? What's going on with you? You can find me at Cubby Hall NYC on Instagram. Um, there's not a lot going on with me at the moment. I'm just working with Matt here on uh, Baron Von Soap. Um, but you can also catch me at the Slipper Room in s- August, September, September. For Hotsy Totsy's Doctor Who show. Um, that'll be September 9th, I believe that is. Let me quickly get my calendar out here. Do, 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 do. September 9th, yes. Excellent. That sounds awesome. Thank you, boys. This was tons of fun. Thank you so much for coming back and saving the show. You're my heroes. Have you ever known I am a hero? You're like a sandwich Thanks that's really long. <laughs> In some regions, it's called a grinder, which is also a gay app on your phone. Jazz hands. Happy Pride. Happy Pride, boys. Happy Pride. Okay, so thank you once again to Matt Knife and Cubby Hall for coming back and saving the show. Yay! It was fun hanging out with you once, but twice. That was crazy. What? Yay! Yay! I'd be in a whole heap of trouble had you not come back, and I cannot thank you enough. And if you want to say thank you to Matt and Cubby for saving the show, head on over to Baron Von Soap. 
Buy some of this quality product for yourself. Spoil yourself. Restrictions are lifting all over the country. It's time to go mingling in society once again. Smell good. Don't just smell good. Smell fabulous with Baron Von Soap. Before we wrap up, I have some final thoughts about this movie, particularly about Susan Tyrell. This performance is incredible. We've talked about that up and down. It's nuanced. She must have put herself through one hell of an emotional ringer to get this thing on film. And it's tragic that the film has been somewhat ignored for so long, that the film has been forgotten over time. It's great it's having this resurgence now, but Susan's no longer with us. Susan hit a rough patch around the year 2000. She was diagnosed with this very rare blood disease called thrombocythemia. Eventually had to have both of her legs amputated because of the blood clots that it caused. While that is sad, I mean, it is, it's tragic and sad, but the thing I find even more sad was that up until almost the point of her death, Susan was ashamed about working on this movie. She had never seen it. She thought she did a bad job. And it wasn't until she was sick and had her legs amputated and was in the hospital that somebody finally sat her down and said, Susan, you really need to watch yourself in this. And when she finally did, she was laughing and clapping and she said, she said, you know what? That was a really fantastic film. I wish I'd let myself see it sooner. Why are you bringing this up, Patrick? Why are you bringing the show down? I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying it's Pride Month, as you well know. And I know Pride brings up a lot of feelings for a lot of people and not all of them good. Pride can have the exact opposite feeling of what it's supposed to. Like me, I get intimidated by the crowds. All of a sudden, body image becomes a huge issue. I don't fit in. I'm not cool enough for this. I'm not queer enough for this. I don't deserve this. And I just thought, I just made this connection in my head. Think how Susan Terrell lives her whole life, having no idea how incredible she was. And I don't want that to happen to any of us. You're a bazillion times more fabulous than you know that you are. And sure, maybe Traditional pride celebrations are not for you. You don't have to go to a parade. You don't have to go to some white party. You don't have to go putting yourself in these situations where you're not going to be comfortable. That's not what I'm saying to do. Just take some time. Do some self-reflection and figure out what really makes you sparkle, even if it's just one thing. One thing about you that's cool and different, even if it's just different. Sometimes that thing you're embarrassed about yourself is one of your best attributes, but you just don't know it. As queer people, a huge population of the world, unfortunately, is determined to make our lives miserable because they think we're different and weird and strange. It's really easy to start internalizing that kind of stuff about yourself. And then you think all these other things about you are weird and strange. But one of the things I learned over in my, in my many, many years is that very often that thing that makes you different and strange is exactly what makes you amazing because it makes you different. No, not different, unique. There is only one you. In the whole history of the world, there's only going to be one of you. And those things that make you unique make you special, and that makes you awesome. Learn to love yourself, baby. That's the important thing about pride. Fuck everybody else. It's all about you. As queer people, we spend a huge proportion of the early part of our lives forcing ourselves, trying with all of our might to be something that we're not. Maybe sexuality, maybe gender whatever it may be, we spend a huge portion of our lives feeling horrible. This horrible secret that we have. Young queer people can spend so much time and so much energy hiding who they really are, denying who they really are, lying to themselves, lying to the rest of the world in this effort 
to be normal, to be like everybody else, to just blend in. Baby, you're not built to blend in. Stand the fuck out like you were born to do. Now they're just talking about sexuality. I'm talking to my, my heterosexual listeners out there too. There's something about you that's absolutely awesome that you don't let the world see. And that's probably because you don't let yourself see it either. And I guarantee you there's something. There's some light under your bushel that you're hiding. You might not even know you're hiding it. But I hope that this Pride Month that you can find it and sparkle like I know you do. I know you do. I'm old and I'm wise. Listen to my words. I have my moments. And if you want to do a pride celebration that's going to happen right in your own home and you can do it all by yourself and nobody can see it, hey, come hang out with us at the Monday Night Watch Party. We're watching this movie. We're watching Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. I would love to see you. We'll have a great time. No judgments. All laughs. Might even win some cool merchandise. Monday night, June 21st, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 Central Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's free. Head on over to www.screamqueens.com slash drive-in. Oh, and one more announcement before we completely wrap up. Not only do we have this watch party on Monday, my fellow shopkeep at the Very Curious Cure Shop over at Damn You, Uncle Lewis, which is one of our exclusive Patreon premium podcasts, on Thursday at 9 p.m. This is the show that Maya Murphy, Trey Dean, and I get together once a month to discuss the next episode of Friday the 13th, the TV series. Thursday, June 24th, 9 p.m. We are hosting our very first live stream episode. And since this is a test to see how we can incorporate live streaming into the main Scream Queen show here, you don't have to be a patron to come hang out with us. I'm going to open it up to everybody. And the episode that we're talking about is... The Quilt quilt of Hothar. That's the one where Mickey and Ryan have to go undercover in this fake Amish community. You know, it's supposed to be Amish, but it's not Amish because they can't say it's Amish because they get sued. You know, the Amish people probably won't see it because they don't have electronics. Not the point right now. They have to go undercover in this Amish community to retrieve a quilt. A quilt that kills through nightmares, but not Freddy Krueger style. It's a whole different way. This, of course, is one of the most infamous episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. Not just for its unusual location. Not just for its extremely gory death. But... It's got one of the meanest and best villains of the entire series. And best of all, it's a lady villain. Yay, my favorite. So come hang out with us. Come obsess over Roby with us. Come see how crazy Maya and I can drive Trey Dean by cramming as many obscure musical theater references into the show. How gay will Jack be in this episode? We don't know yet because we haven't recorded yet because we'll be doing it live. Thursday, June 21st, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 Central Mountain, 6 p.m. Pacific. Please be there. It's going to be a hoot. I'll be posting the information on social media, so the best place to get that information is there. But Patrick, how do I find the social media? How do I find you? Calm down. I got you, boo. I got you, boo. You can find me on Facebook. Do a search on Scream Queens where horror gets gay. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And finally, you can find me on YouTube, which is where the live stream is going to be happening. You can find me on YouTube by doing a search on Scream Queens where horror gets gay. Bam. Subscribe. Bam. You'll get a notification. Bam. Oh, but Patrick, you just threw a whole lot of URLs at us and all these links and there's a lot to take in and I don't know if I can remember. Well, you don't have to remember because all that information is right there on the show notes. Check your device. Look down there. Whatever you're listening to it on right now. Somewhere on there. Scroll around. You're going to find the show notes with all the links to everything that we talked about this episode. That's all the social media links. That's the links to Baron Von Soap. It's the links to the drive-in. 
They're all there in one handy place. And all you got to do is jab it with your finger and you're in. And hey, by the way, if you're new, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Welcome. I hope you had a good time. No, I hope you had an incredible time. And if you did, please come back. How do I come back? Well, it's really easy. Whatever device you're listening to, us on right now, whatever app, hit that little follow button. Become a follower. It's totally free. This show is totally free. Yay! And if you had a really good time, tell a friend. Share the Scream Queen's love. If you didn't have a good time, tell an enemy. Why not? That goes for you longtime listeners, too. My best word of mouth is you. So if you're having a good time here, if you love this episode, if you want to say, hey, Pete, they found this crazy movie, and I, I can't believe how many layers are to it, pass it on. Pass it on to a friend. Please, please. It's the cool thing to do. So next time on Scream Queens, we're having two brand new guests. It's the boys from Groovy Doom. What's Groovy Doom? You know what? I'm only finding out in the past few weeks just how huge Groovy Doom is. It's a blog. I knew that. And they do watch parties on Saturday night. I knew that. But they have a zine. They have all his merchandise available. They have, this is whole conglomerate. Not a conglomerate, but this is a whole like two-man industry behind Groovy Doom. That's all about 70s drive-in exploitation horror movies. And they are fabulous. And they're coming on because I need them. I need them. Because I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. I'm going to crack open the nightmare closet. Oh, oh, no, Patrick, no. What's that? Listen, the nightmare closet is when I revisit a movie that traumatized me so badly in my childhood, I haven't seen it since. Now, granted, this particular movie, I have seen since. And I talked about it on the show a long time ago, but I did it solo. I need to talk about it with other people. And since it is prime 70s drive-in exploitation goodness. There ain't no better people to do it with than Sam Panico and Bill Van Rain from Groovy Doom. What movie are we talking about, Patrick? I'm talking about the 1971 bit of devil worship and weirdness, Brotherhood of Satan. And another obscure title that's not streaming anywhere. Fortunately, I'll be throwing a watch party for that too at the drive-in. It's going to be screaming at the drive-in. www.screamgoodies.com. That's drive-in. So keep, keep your eye. Keep your eye for all that information. I've already taken a nap. Today, I need another one. I got two hours of sleep last night, so I'm going to wrap this puppy up. But before I do, please, all of you, have a fantastic Pride Month. Whatever's left, celebrate it in your own personal way. Find something cool about yourself. Do it safely for Pete's sake. I know the world's opening up, but please, please, please don't take any unnecessary risks that you're not ready for or that we're going to put you in a bad situation. I want you around. I'm sure you want you around too. So just don't, don't, don't get yourself sick over Pride Month. Pride yourself responsibly. And until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place by living by the Scream Queen's golden rule. Let's say it all together, shall we? Let's do that. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Wear a fucking mask. Wash your fucking hands. Keep your fucking distance. Get the fucking shot. Stay fucking fabulous. And don't you forget for one second that I love you. Happy Pride! Yay! Glitter! Music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs>
Ew.